Good morning, you guys may be seated and praise God for today. Praise God for um, everything that he's doing. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for Jesus who died on the cross for us. Uh, welcome those of you guys that are here today. Welcome those of you guys that are online on Zoom. Again, this will be our last Zoom service. And again, praise God for technology. You know, I love that Matt just kind of plowed through even with the tweaks and everything. Because ultimately, here's the thing, guys. Worshiping God, it doesn't matter if you have a building, doesn't matter if you have instruments, if you have a heart for God, that's all you need, amen? Praise God, Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise, and we just love you so much. Holy Spirit, have your way, speak to me and through me as we take a look at what it means to live for you. You are our everything, amazing grace, that unmerited favor that you give us. We thank you for that, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen. I also don't want to forget to say good morning to those of you on YouTube Live because I think you guys uh, ended up joining us a little bit later today. So over the past maybe six weeks, we've been talking about the vision that God has for the church. And this is something that was birthed in San Clemente on the beach when God spoke to me and he said, do this. We're supposed to unite the church. And what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And we have to understand that, that God doesn't do things the way we want him to do it. God does things the way he wants to do it. Amen? So we have to understand that. And so we've been talking about what it means to become a maturing Christian who not only understands, but can also express the love of Christ. And the scripture tells us, the Bible tells us that God's love, Christ's love, is that like that of a parent. Sometimes it's a warm embrace, a great hug, and sometimes it might be a spank on the butt. Amen? But we got to understand that that's how our parents are. That's how we need to be as Christians if we truly want to express God's love. So we've also been talking about these three L's that will help us to understand that. That first we need to learn about Christ, and we do that through studying not just reading the bible but studying it you have to rightly be able to divide it as scripture tells us which means you need to dig into it you just can't be surface level and we have to continue doing that throughout our lives we need to learn about christ and then as you learn about christ you start changing the holy spirit in you starts changing and you want to live for christ and then the final thing is as you're living for Christ, you will have this desire that God has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit where you want to lead others to Christ as well. But God has had his camp out here. I didn't realize that I thought it'd be for one week. It's going to end up being four weeks that we talk about living for Christ because ultimately that's the most important thing. We can learn about Christ. We can lead others to Christ. But if we don't live for him, none of that makes sense. So today, we're going to continue talking about living for Christ. Last week, I presented what I truly believe is the most hideous sin in the world, and it's the most slipperiest slope to sin, and that is when we lean on our own understanding, when we let our minds, our logic, data, and also our heartstrings, our emotions, guide what God is telling us instead of letting the Holy Spirit tell us what God wants to say. Amen? Yeah, there should be a lot of amens today. Whoo, going off, right? This is the Holy Spirit. I'm excited. All right. So as we continue talking about this, today we're going to talk about another aspect. 
And so God gave me this really cool illustration that the body of Christ, our families, that we, we, we call ourselves our church family. Well, our church family, it's really similar to the families that we grew up in. Now think about this. We have a heavenly father, just like our dads. And we have lots of brothers and sisters. I don't know if you realize this, but as Christians, we are brothers and sisters to one another. That's why throughout Scripture you see it say, brothers and sisters this, brothers and sisters that. And you know, I grew up in a family, I have one sister, and there were times when my sister would say, you know what? <sighs> you better not do that. You know, or I wouldn't do that if I was you because you might get in trouble. And here's what's so amazing about that is typically my sister would do that because she didn't want me to be breaking a rule. She didn't want me to suffer the consequence that my parents would have if I broke their rules. But if my sister and me were being honest, we would say that there was times where instead of just saying, I wouldn't do this if I was you because I care about you, we would say something like, if you do that, I'm going to tell. Right? Because there's a selfish thing that my sister and me wanted. We're like, you know what? You better do this for me, and that way I won't tell. There's a selfish motivation. So there's a difference between someone that's doing something for your benefit to help you and someone that's just doing it for a selfish reason. And the body of Christ is exactly the same. That as Christians, we are called to help our brothers and sisters identify the sin in their life. Why? Because we want what's the, what is the best for them. We want to say, you know, such and such a person, you're living in sin. And I don't want you to suffer the consequences of that. But we have to be sure that our motivation is right. Because oftentimes, Christians want to call out other people's sin to make themselves look better. Or they want to do that so they can justify their own actions. And that, unfortunately, is a sin. So we have to take a look at that. So I want to start here by talking about what is a definition that we can work with regarding the term living in sin. It's interesting because when you look at Webster's Dictionary, obviously it's a series of words, but it says that it is an old-fashioned idiom that means living together and not mar being married and having an intimate relationship, right? That's what most people think because we know that if you're not married and you have this intimate relationship that you're sitting. And unfortunately, it's a very common thing in our society. Our society has gotten to the point where they say, that's okay. But that's where that idiom, that's where that saying came from, living in sin. I would say it is Doing something, or when you are living for something, it has become part of your everyday life. It's something that has become part of your everyday process. It's part of how you think, how you feel, and how you act. It is your being. That's what it means to live in something. So to live in sin means some sin has gone from being an occasional slip-up, because we all sin, and we we should be confessing and repenting of that, right? That's the occasional sin. It has gone from that to something that is repeated over and over. 
And now it has become part of your life. It's part of your everyday process. And remember that sin isn't just do's and don'ts in the Bible. It's your heart condition. So do we understand that, that when you're living in sin, it's how you operate. That's why I said that the biggest sin I see is leaning on your own understanding. Because I know people out there that they logic everything, right? It's all about the data. And I know other people that it's all about their feelings. I gave you the example that my mentor shared with me that there are people that will leave the faith because their sons and daughters are experiencing or living in some sin. So they're going to basically change their morals, their Christian beliefs because of that. That's a shame. Why would I change what I believe, what God has taught me through Scripture, simply because my mom or dad or sister or brother or whoever is sinning? That's ridiculous. But that's what's happening in our world. It's been happening ever since the, the Bible came together, since Jesus walked the earth over 2,000 years ago. This is an issue that was happening then, and sadly, I would say it's even worse now. So we have to pay attention not only to the sin in our lives, but the sin in others' lives. This is why it is so important to understand that when we truly accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we don't have to live in sin any longer. We have died to our sin nature. Romans 6, verses 1 through 14 what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's like someone saying, should I keep sinning so God will forgive me more? So that unmerited favor that I deserve, so it will just abound? By no means. No. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in, uh, into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slave to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Do you guys get that? When you're a slave, you're in bondage. You have no choice. You can't get out. Before Jesus died for us, before we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we were bound to sin. It means we couldn't fight it. There was no way to fight or resist the sin in our lives. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, if we truly believe in him, we can fight that sin. We don't have to give in to the, whenever I'm online, I look at things that I shouldn't. Whenever I get angry, I start using words that I shouldn't. Whenever I'm depressed, I start popping pills. We don't have to do that because now we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have victory through him. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Sin doesn't have to be our master. We can fight those temptations because of Jesus Christ. But we gotta remember this doesn't mean that we don't sin. We still do. But instead of living in sin, we live for God. And the advocate, the Holy Spirit, God in us, he helps us overcome sin when it rears its ugly head in our lives, which if we're honest happens all the time. It happens every single day. Because if the biggest sin is leaning on your own understanding, I guarantee you sin a lot. Because I know I do. The key is that we don't have to give in to sin. We can be victorious over sin because of Jesus' death on the cross. But we need to do our part. We need to confess and repent, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. We have to do our part. So what exactly does the Bible say about living in sin? I've kind of given you my definition, but let's, let's see what God says. So 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take our sins. And in him is no sin. So if you ever wonder, does Jesus sin? No, he's sinless. He's the only sinless person. How incredible is that? He doesn't sin. He's perfect. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning if you believe in jesus christ you don't keep on sinning it doesn't mean that you don't have an occasional sin it means again you're not led by your sin it means if you see something online it does not cause you to tumble 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 it means maybe you look at something you say no no i got to do the eye bouncy thing got to do the eye bouncy thing right you're no longer living in sin listen to this no one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. No one who continues to sin, again, we're not talking occasional sin. It's living in sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, convicting you, you don't want to sin anymore because it starts hurting. You start realizing you're hurting God. You start realizing that you're doing the exact thing that God hates, sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us. 
you start feeling like, ugh, what is this? It's making me sick. I need to get away from it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit on our lives. Verse 9, I think I might have read it, but I'll go back over it again. That's all right. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Isn't that so interesting that God connects sin and love, right? But as I always mention, because you guys know, the swat on the back is a little bit easier for me than the hug. So we have to remember that Christian love is not always a hug. Sometimes it's a pat on the back or a slap on the back. It's both. But love and dealing with sin, they're connected. You can't have one without the other. Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. If you recall in the Old Testament, sacrifices were the atonement for our sins. Every time you sin, you would go get a, get a dove or you'd get a bigger thing if the sin was bigger. But if we keep on sinning, if we keep living on sin, there's no more sacrifices left. What Jesus did doesn't count for you any longer because you're pushing your luck. That's why we have to work on not living in sin. doesn't mean an occasional sin doesn't happen. It means is that occasional sin happening every single day. But only, verse 27 but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Before you were saved, Scripture tells us you were an enemy of God because God hates sin. You've got to take this serious. Our superintendent said last year, the biggest pandemic in the world is not the coronavirus, it's sin. And it's so true. Because a lot of the sin in the world, we don't realize it. Because we think sin is only something like murder. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a lot of other sins we commit each and every day. That's why I said again last week, leaning on your own understanding, starting to get it, starting to get it, it's the biggest sin you can commit because we do it every single day and we don't realize it. Gotta wake up, church. So hopefully now you're understanding that there is a difference between living in sin and occasional sin. But you know what? I love doing this because there is so much scripture that people don't like to look at and it's exactly the verses I love because they're challenging and that's what God wants. He doesn't want our faith to be easy. We need to be stronger as Christians. So we're gonna look at some challenging verses that discuss living for Christ and how we are to address other Christians who are living in sin. 1 Corinthians 3 Chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now listen to this. Verse 10. Not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. We don't need to address the sin in the world for people that don't know Jesus. 
That's not what actually any of the Bible's addressing. We have to address the sin in the church, both big C, Christians as a whole, and little c, the people sitting in this room. That's the sin we address. Because if we wanted to address all the sin in the world, we couldn't exist in this world. Because sin makes no sense to someone that doesn't know Jesus. They're not convicted of sin because they don't even know what it is. So whenever we hear addressing sin in other people's lives, look at the context. It's talking about your brothers and sisters. It's talking about the person sitting next to you. Verse 11, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims, hey, check this out, who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Wow. Wow. It's pretty intense. Jesus is no joke. We have to be careful with who we surround ourselves by. But here's the thing. As we walk through this, hopefully you'll get the entirety of what God is trying to tell us about addressing the sin in other people's lives and how other Christians have to address the sin in our lives because this is not a one-way street, right? This works both ways. Look at verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? See, we don't like to talk about judgment. And the reason why is we don't even know what judgment is. We use our own understanding based on the world and what the world defines judgment as. So what exactly does the Hebrew and the Greek, what, is it, what does it really mean? So we'll take a look at that here in a second. But again, remember, when we're talking about addressing sin in the Bible, it's talking about other believers. It's not talking about non-Christians. You have to understand we cannot hold non-Christians to the same standards that God holds us to. It's totally judgmental. People say judgmental the, world, the way the world defines judgmental. How can we judge people by a standard which they have no clue about? Now flip that around. It is absolutely talking about the people sitting next to you, those who claim to be Christians. And I love that it says claim because they claim, but who knows if they really are. Last week, we had an incredible testimony, the greatest testimony I have ever heard in my life of someone that we all felt or thought was a Christian. And then she made the most incredible choice, the most powerful choice, to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And for her to say, yeah, share that testimony, Andrew. I love it because I'm hoping it will open so many people's eyes because it can walk like a Christian, it can talk like a Christian, but it may not be a Christian. So when we look at the Koine Greek definition of judgment, what it means is to separate, distinguish, or to come up with a verdict or decision about something. So it's more kind of looking at a judicial kind of thing. And that's something that we're talking about. Right? The, the basis that we're coming up with these decisions is God's word. It's what is right and wrong according to God. And the way that we know that is by reading God's word and studying it. That's the only way. We can't just assume what's right and right, right, what is right and wrong. We can't do that. We have to know from God's word that is 
rightly divided, that is studied, interpreted correctly what it means to judge. That means that we don't judge other Christians based on our thoughts, our feelings, and emotions. Why? Because then we're leaning on our understanding and we're sinning. That's why we have to continue reading God's word and studying it, not just reading it, studying it to understand it, to understand how it applies to our lives. And I shared with you that God's word is so incredible that there are things that are hidden that are only spiritually discerned. Go read about the parables. Jesus says it himself. He says these things are hidden. I don't want everybody to know the secret knowledge. It's known through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means that every time you read God's word, if you are growing and maturing and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you understand who the Holy Spirit is, you're gonna have incredible new revelations about God's word, amen? I hope God's word does that for you each and every day that when you read it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a new revelation, God. Last time I read this, I didn't see this truth. That's how incredible God's word is. That is why scripture says it is living and active. Amen? Amen, absolutely. And this is also why we need the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual discernment. Because if you don't have spiritual discernment, you're gonna be judging Christians in all kinds of goofy ways. And you won't know the difference. You won't know when you're leaning on your own understanding or if you're leaning on God's word. So we need the Holy Spirit in us to help us. Amen. So let's look at a few more verses about addressing other Christian brothers and sisters who are living in sin. Again, I'm not talking about an occasional sin. And sometimes, this is not to say, parents, friends, that if you see your friend, family member, and they sin, doesn't mean that you can't address it. It's just understand that what Scripture is talking about is more living in sin. It's that ongoing sin that someone just doesn't recognize or they're not able to deal with. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother or sister sins, brother or sister, right? We're not talking about non-Christians. We're talking about Christians. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take two, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony or two or three witnesses. Isn't that brilliant what God tells us? Because notice how sometimes you might say, hey, you know what, I've noticed this thing in your life, but if it's only between you, there can be a denial, right? And so then let's say you take it to some other brothers and sisters that weren't around. Who are they going to believe, right? It's your word against theirs. So that's why God says, take a couple other really strong Christians with you and point out the sin in their life. Address them. Because now there's the testimony. There's a record. They can't deny it. They can't say, Pastor Andrew said this, but I didn't say this. Oh, no, no, no. Isn't God's word awesome? Everything we need to know is right there. Yeah, praise Jesus and a big amen. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Wow. Wow. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Here's the thing about pagans and tax collectors. Basically, in the time 
of the Bible, when it was written, when it was being lived as we see it, tax collectors and pagans, they were considered unredeemed. They were considered outside the Christian community. That's how we have to view them. But here's the thing again. We can't lean on our own understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to help us or we could make a lot of mistakes. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they have deceived the minds of naive people. Keep away from them. What does that mean? See, these are verses that sound so harsh, but what we're seeing is that we have to have some boundaries. We have to be able to identify when there's people around us that are living in sin. And we have to say, do we have some pretty good boundaries or are we letting them influence us? Because that's when, if you have a son or daughter, a brother, mother, whoever, right, that they're living in sin, that they're doing something they shouldn't, it starts affecting you. And then your version of the Bible becomes the Bible according to Andrew or the Bible according to Randy or the Bible according to Harrison. And it's the Bible according to God because it's his word, amen? Now here's the thing. And I have to point fingers at myself too. This is such an important reality to all of this. Before we get on our spiritual high horse and start calling out the sins of everybody in the church, of everybody who calls themselves a Christian, there are a few things that we have to remember about how we approach fellow Christians who are living in sin. So if you want to write these down, it's important. So the first one is repentance and turning people back to God must be the motivation. Again, repentance and turning people back to God must be the motivation. James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, that person, remember this, or sorry, bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Praise God. Look at that. God looks so highly on people who will help their brothers and brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, turn back to Christ. God is not a respecter of persons. That's what Scripture tells us. But he thinks it's pretty awesome, right? You gain some favor when you turn people back to God. But that's the number one thing. Our motivation for helping people, maybe we'll look at this way. Maybe don't say calling out sins. Helping people identify the sin in their life. Maybe that is a softer way to say it. Helping people to identify the sin in their life. It has to be about repentance and turning people to God. It can't be about making ourselves look better. It can't be about tearing people down with no purpose. It has to be about repentance and turning people back to God. That has to be the motivation. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we talked about this last week, do not lean on your own understanding. Lean on the Holy Spirit for discernment. If you don't, you could be sinning or falling into sin. Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit 
should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So let's break both those parts down. The second part is, as Christians, as fellow believers, part of the burdens we carry for our brothers and sisters is helping them address the sin in their lives because sin is a huge burden. It's probably the worst burden we can have, carrying that sin in our lives. So we have to be willing to help carry that load for our brothers and sisters to help them identify the sin in their lives. But again, repentance has to be the goal, has to be our motivation. But we have to do it gently and we need to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we may be tempted. And probably, I would think, what Paul is talking about here is the temptation, now I could be wrong, but I'm just thinking about myself, that sometimes when we want to help someone identify the sin in their lives, if we're not careful, we're going to go off like a bulldozer, right? Because we're like, why don't they get it? Why don't they see the sin in their life? So at least that's how Scripture speaks to me. But maybe, for some of you, it could be that the person that you help them identify their sin, they start to cry. And they're like, I just can't change. Why, why would you do this? Why, why would you make me feel so bad? And your sin is that you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring it up. Uh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. God will forgive you, I'm sure. Don't, you, you don't have to repent. I'm sure God loves you so much. Right? Yeah, let's own it. Both sides. I can own mine. Let's own yours. We have to be careful, church. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in this process. And again, repentance and turning people back to God has to be the motivation. So let's continue on. The third thing, be sure you are dealing with the sin in your own life. Right? Yeah, amen. Because, man, if you can't deal with the sin in your life, you sure look like a hypocrite. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So how do we do that? How do we deal with the sin in our own life? One, acknowledge you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm terrible. I'm a pastor and I sin all the time. I'm terrible. I am not good enough without God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I fall short of the glory of God every day. I am a sinner. I need God's help. How about you? Two, ask God to reveal and convict you of sin. I'm no better than you, but this morning, I was talking to Emily, and I was like, you know, I was just praying that, that in different situations that have come up recently, God, help me to realize, point out scripturally, am I sinning? Is there something I did wrong here, God? Because I want to repent of that. So I said, God, forgive me if there's something I don't recognize and help point it out to me. Me and Emily both had this conversation today. We need to do that every day. Every day. Because we don't want to go to bed knowing we've been sinning, that we've been hurting God, we've been in disobedience. So ask God to reveal and convict you of sin because he can reveal a sin in your life but here's the thing if he doesn't tell you you're sinning and it's hurting him are you really going to change we have to ask god to reveal and convict us of sin psalm 139 verses 20 through 24 search me O god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts 
point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along to the path of everlasting life. Lord Jesus, help us all that if there is anything we are doing, if we are sinning, help reveal that. We're not smart enough. We don't see it. John 16, verses uh, verses 7 through 8. But I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's so important, calling out sin in our lives, identifying being convicted of is so important that Jesus left those who he was closest to. He left the disciples. He left everyone on earth because he knew if he did, the Holy Spirit would be deposited into our hearts. And if he didn't, that wouldn't happen. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. So, so far, what is that? We have... uh, Deal with your own sin, so we have to acknowledge we're a sinner. Ask God to reveal and convict us of our sins. Next, and this is, I talked about this earlier, we have to confess and repent of our sins, right? It's one thing to have it revealed. It's another thing to have it, uh, to be convicted of it. But now we have to do something about it. You have to confess and repent of your sins. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: people who conceal their sins will not prosper, You ever wonder why some things aren't happening in your life? Maybe it's because it's sin. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. There's a breakthrough when you can own your sin and confess it and repent. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We're all sinners. If we confess it, if we repent, right, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, righteousness is what's right and wrong according to God, right? How incredible. That's what happens when we repent, when we address, we confess our sins to him. The Greek word for confess, it means admit, acknowledge, declare. The Greek word for repent means to change direction, to change one's mind or to change one way, one's way. In other words, own your sin. Don't justify, don't minimize own your sin then change oh but it's not that easy right it's not easy to change that's why you need the holy spirit's help john 14 verse 26 but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance your remembrance all that i said to you it's not easy to change It's not easy to give up those things that draw us in. It's not easy to identify when we're leaning on our own understandings, when we're allowing our feelings, emotions, and thoughts, our logic, data, all these things to make our decisions for us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need God in us to help us. 
I want to end with this. It's interesting. Whenever I talk about sin, whenever I talk about anything like this, the first thing people tell me is, well, Scripture says, uh, judge not lest you be judged, right? And it cracks me up. It's hilarious. Because now I get to do a little mini-sermon on this little passage here. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Yeah. Taken completely by itself out of complete context, oh, it sounds terrible. It sounds like I better not ever help anybody address the sin in their life, oh, or I'm going to be judged. Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I want God to judge me. I want the Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin each and every day. Every day. Every second of every day. I want God to judge me. Why? Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't help me identify the sin in my life, how will I ever change? I will be the same miserable person. Sinning, 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 sinning. I want the Holy Spirit to convict me. You better believe it. I want God to judge me. And here's why. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Meaning, why are you pointing out the sin in other Christians' lives when you have so much sin, worse sin, in your own? How can you say to your brother or sister, a fellow Christian, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time... There is a plank in your own eye. Isn't that so true? We don't want to be hypocrites. We have to deal with the sin in our own lives, but the only way that that happens is if we are judged by God, if the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. But now move to the very final verse here, and it says, and then, oh, wait, you hypocrite. You hypocrite, right? So deal with your own sin. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your own sin, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Amen? We are called to help other believers identify the sin in their life. But we're hypocrites if we don't deal with the sin in our own lives. I hope this is penetrating really deep. Because if we want to be next level Christians, this is what it takes. God's not playing God wants to do something new. He wants to do something incredible. But we need to take his word seriously. It's all right there. So the next time someone says, judge not lest you be judged, be like, do you actually read the Bible? Do you actually know what it says? Maybe don't be like that. Maybe be nice to be like, excuse me, brother or sister, how often do you read God's word? Because let me walk you through what it really says. Lord Jesus, convict us. Lord Jesus, judge us. Judge our thoughts. Judge our emotions. Judge everything about us. And help identify the sin in us, Lord, because we don't want it. We don't want to do, we don't want to be what you hate. We don't want to be, Lord, what Jesus died for. We want to die to our sins. We don't want to be bound. We don't want to be slaves to us. 
to that sin. Holy Spirit, help us. Help convict us of our sin and help us when it's difficult, when there's temptations, when there are things that we want to keep doing because they feel good, they look good, they seem good, all of these things. Holy Spirit, help us because we truly are too weak. We need your help. Thank you, God, for your conviction. Thank you, God, for your judgment. Thank you, God, for your word that helps us to understand what you expect of us. Help us to be those next level Christians that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to work towards holiness, to work towards righteousness. We know we will never be perfect. You are the only sinless person ever, Jesus. But we want to be imitators of you as your word says. Help us to be like you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to work towards that 100% perfection even though we know we'll never get there. Lord, I pray that we will be a community of believers that addresses the sin in our own lives and is compelled by you, Holy Spirit, to help identify the sin in others for their good. For their good, Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's ever times where we want to call out the sins in others to make ourselves look better, Holy Spirit, convict us. God, judge us. Lord, we need you more than ever. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in your name. Amen.